Hi, my name is Scott. I'm one of the elders, and today we are continuing our sermon series looking, uh, talking about money, life, and legacy. The specific topic that I get to speak to you about is a little controversial somewhat. Different people have different opinions about it, but it entails the word debt. And so we're going to expound a little bit about that, look about different what the scripture teaches us, as well as what it means practically for our lives and to be able to do that. So Stephen Wright. He's one of my favorite comedians. He's known for being very deadpan, slow, mixed in with a lot of sarcasm. Uh, one of his famous quotes that kind of applies to this message is, if you think that no one cares about you, try missing a few co couple of payments and you'll find out otherwise. So the same principle kind of applies uh, for us. In the United States as a whole, we tend to have a very much a culture of debt. If you take 80% um, of Americans have some form of consumer debt, the amount, the total amount of debt is $14 trillion. That's a lot collectively. Mortgages count for a bulk of this around 9.44 trillion. The average mortgage is around 190,000. Um, not including mortgage debt, the average consumer debt is around $38,000. Uh, student loans average around $46,822 per home or house. 28% of those loans will default sometime during that loan. Auto loans average around $27,804 per home, and credit card debt averages around $5,135 per home. Not to be outdone, the federal government uh, is also known for having a few amounts of deficits. Uh, as far as July 1st of this year, I did an actual search, the official U.S. Treasury's um, number of government debt is uh, $30 trillion, $486 billion, $168 million, $799,298. So that equates to $91,595 for every U.S. citizen. And that averages also to $234,634 for every household. Put that in perspective relative to the budget. Uh, it's around that amount of debt is 6.8 times the annual total federal revenues, and it's 129,000 of the total U.S. output. So that's the gross domestic product, the sum of everything that everyone makes, all put together in one big pot. Over the course of U.S. history, the national debt has averaged around 31% of the nation's GDP. So you can kind of see how that has grown, especially over the last uh, couple of years. And if you think um, that the recent about six or seven trillion dollars that we've uh, printed as part of a re response to COVID has not resulted in inflation. Uh, we need to have probably a discussion relative to basic economic principles that you'll learn as a freshman in there. So as a whole, the America has a debt problem and you can't borrow your way out of debt um, with it. Now, what is debt exactly? So debt is defined as being in debt to someone or owing something, someone's, you're owing something to someone with the expectation that it'll be paid back sometime in the future. The definition itself does not quantify as good or bad. It's simply a condition where one person has a relationship to the other with a certain expectation to it. To ascribe morality to debt, you kind of have to understand the reasons why the debt was created and the conditions under which it was created in order to kind of have a judgment of rightness or wrongness. 
before we should look at anything as far as being right or wrong, we should always turn to what the Bible tells us and filter everything through the perspective of what the Bible teaches us for there. So what we're going to talk about are five things that the Bible says that are um, the Bible does say about debt and five things that the Bible doesn't say about debt. And then we can talk through it through some various types of debts and give some examples of that. So we're going to start first with the five things that the Bible does say about debt. The first thing that the Bible says about debt in no particular order is it is foolish to put yourself in a surety situation. So what do we mean by surety? Surety is a formal commitment or guarantee for another person's debt or co-signing a loan is a better way to explain it. Proverbs 1.15 says, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is, is Striking hands in pledge is secure. In other words, if you're in a surety situation, the Bible encourages you to get out of it. But if you feel that you have no other choice, for example, you're co-signing a loan for one of your children or you're helping out a financially strapped parent or some other things there, we recommend or the recommendation is that you set aside money in a separate account and absolutely have that money in order to pay back that debt commitment that you're signing up to or else you're putting two people at risk for that. And you shouldn't really be signing up to something if you don't have the means to um, pay that back. Second principle, we have an obligation to take care of our families, and that could result in taking on debt. Last week, Chad talked about this, but in 1 Timothy 1, 5, and 8, Paul writes, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and it's worse than being an unbeliever. What does this mean? Well, what it means is that it's important for us to take care of our, our parents, uh, to take care of a child's emergency. There's certain things that can happen to us. Life happens, and we have an obligation to take care of that, and that may require us to take debt if, if the commitments that are required in order to take care of that are greater than our means to be able to pay it. So there are certain mechanisms or reasons given in the Bible where there are explanations of why you would want to take on a debt and what are the purposes of that. Uh, the third point, it is wrong not to pay back debts. So this is an important one. Uh, Psalms 37.21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Exodus 22.14 says, And if a man borrows anything from his neighbors and becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. These two verses demonstrate that when something is borrowed, it should be paid back. Not, not only should it be paid back, but it should be paid back in full. Someone who refuses to pay back is, God says, has a wicked heart and is not the generous and giving heart that God wants us to have. So it's pretty, in that case, it's, the Bible is very black and white. It's very clear. It's like, if you have debt, you need to pay that debt back. Now, there are certain times where bankruptcy results or other things like that, there are legal conditions where the sums not be able to do that. But the, still, the principle applies is that we need to um, pay back what we borrow. And if you don't, you aren't following what scriptures teaches you. So that should also be a consideration when we, before we sign up to loans is our ability to pay something back. We should not take a loan, which we know we have no ability to pay back. Number four, borrowing leads to obligations and loss of freedom. So Proverbs 22.7, this is a, a well-known one. I learned it in Awana. It says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. So that talks about two things. One is that whoever is giving loans 
um, tends to have more authority over the person that is taking the loans um, and that the loan obligations can be a burden to some people. And we see that kind of in today's situation based upon the level of consumer date that's present there. So if you look at some of the statistics, nearly 50% of Americans literally survive paycheck to paycheck. 19% of Americans have no emergency fund or no uh, savings that they can draw on when those bad things happen. When your car breaks down, you're losing, you've got a flat tire, someone gets sick, um, any sort of things like that. One in three Americans has not taken the time to sit down and make a budget. So we, the challenges is that we live in a very materialistic and comparative culture with it. So we are an extremely rich nation, one of the richest nations that has ever existed. Um, but there comes with it this certain lifestyle expectation if you get caught up into having to keep up with the Joneses, right? That's even a saying to be able to do there. So, but the problem is this, is if a lot of times people feel that we're you know poor, trying to get richer and need to get richer to fit in. But if you have a net worth of $93,000, so that's $93,000 of you know, some total of your houses, your furniture, your house, your cars, uh, your retirement savings, what's in your bank. If you have nine, above 93,000, which probably most people will reach sometime in their life, um, especially if you wanna retire and not have to work your whole life, uh, you are in the top 10% of earners in the world, a position on the world. So you're better than 90% of the people in the, in the world to be able to do that. The problem with debt is it can keep us from being able to pursue God's full calling into our life and to be a blessing for others. And that's really the, the underarching principle is if you take on too much debt, it can hinder your ability to serve God. We have a limited amount of time here on earth. And if you take on way too much debt, you're going to limit your ability to serve others. Uh, the fifth principle, sometimes borrowing is necessary, but it should be limited to providing the things that we really need. Uh, so here's a great story I want to unpack a little bit. It's in 2 Kings verses one, uh, 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, and I'll talk you through this. So, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you will know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So I'll stop right there. So the situation is that a widower went to Elisha asking for help. So her husband had um, taken on some loans, and unfortunately he passed away. So the creditors came knocking and said, you have to pay this back. And back in those times, what was allowed for those debts is that you could enslave their children. So you put yourself in the position of this woman. She just lost her husband. Um, and she's potentially going to lose her two sons who are support structure that they have um, to be able to do that. So the first principle that, that kind of applies with that is your debt never goes away. When you assume debt just because you died doesn't mean that that obligation isn't there. And that can have implications for both you and your, your, um, your sibling, you know, your children and your other generations. So it's important before you obligate yourself that you understand that you could be applying a burden for this. Take this situation. This not only applies to the widow because of what her husband did, but she could also lose her support structure and um, just her ability for those to take care of them. Remember, there's not, there wasn't social programs per se that are present here today that can kind of help out and minimize some of that blow when someone unexpectedly dies. And so she was in a hard situation. So she goes to Elisha. And so continuing on with the, with the teaching. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what have you in your house? And she said, 
Your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So what she then tells her to do is what she has valuable is some, some oil. So in that, back in the Old Testament days, people didn't take showers, so they stunk. And so oil, the scented oils were of valuable. And so the widow is basically saying, I have nothing except for this jar that has perfume and oils in it. And so he said, borrow a bunch of other containers from your neighbors. So go and ask for help from your neighbors, get some containers, and then fill those up. So she's actually, interestingly enough, is Elisha is asking them her to borrow additional in order to help solve her problem with it. But it's not money in this case. It's things that can be reused or containers. So continuing the story, uh, then go in and when, so she went in from him, shut the door behind herself with her sons. And as she poured, they brought additional vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he came to her and said, there is no, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So a couple things to unpack here with that. So it shows two types of borrowing. The, you know, we, it, it's actually a practical application of what we just talked to over the, the last two things. So borrowing leads to obligations and to loss of freedom, and debts must be repaid, right? And so this burden is on them to be able to do their uh, in order to supply what was needed, Elisha instructed her to borrow vessels and fill them up. And so we don't know if there was some sort of miracle that occurred here. Chance, if you kind of read in there, there may have been. But Elisha was trying to take care of this, this widow into her situation. So they filled up the jars. And then there was enough to pay back the debt. And then also enough to live on um, with it. But it wasn't enough to like live on where they can now, you know, buy a vacation house on the side of the ocean and, you know, live their best lives and document everything on Instagram. It wasn't that it was enough for that. They live on. And that's the other person of another example of it is that we go into debt. Our debt shouldn't be lived to live this extravagant life that says, Hey, look at me, look how I'm awesome. I'm successful. It's to live on. It's to, to be able to still serve God. It's not to encumber yourself so that you limit your future ability to do that. So those are the five things that we talked about that the Bible does say about the debt. Now we're going to talk about five things that the Bible does not say about debt. So first of all, it doesn't say it is a sin to borrow. So while the Bible talks about many warnings about the dangers of debt, it never says you are out of God's will or are violating it for making a debt. So um, so there are certain reasons or certain circumstances for it. It's not a black or white issue. Um, sometimes people refer to Romans thirteen six to prove that all borrowing is sinful, but this verse is not about is about relationships, not about money issues. And there are practical examples where uh, people were required to take on debt in order to satisfy it or to pay off. And so there are multiple examples where debt was occurring and it wasn't described as being sinful with it. Um, so point two, point one says it doesn't say it's a sin to borrow. Point two says it doesn't say that it is wise to borrow. So there's a, a dichotomy between those two statements, right? So uh, sometimes you, if you watch the news or you watch you know these infomercials, some people say that like to tell you to use leverage, to use borrowed money, to buy assets, to appreciate. 
Um, that's not necessarily a biblical perspective. So there's nowhere in the scriptures where it, where it talks about we're advised to use debt to accomplish God's given economic goals. On the contrary, God has many warnings against the use of debt. So there is a limit to what we're supposed to do with that. So we have freedom to borrow, but there, that doesn't mean that it's carte blanche to borrow anything and everything that you want. Continuing with point three, it doesn't say that God's will, uh, it doesn't say that God will bail you out of debt. So sometimes Christians who are heavy in debt believe that there's a verse in First Philippians four nine that's probably taken out of context. Philippians four nine says, and, "And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in the glory of Christ Jesus." Of course, that's true. God will meet our needs, but He will do it in the way that He deems is best. And he hasn't promised to cancel the consequences of our unwise behavior. So if you're taking excessive unwise levels of debt and you're saying, well, God will take care of me, that's not necessarily a true statement. I remember one of the classes I actually took in seminary. Um, it talked about, and it just opened up my eyes, like God says that he will keep, you know, field, uh, uh, feed the birds of the air and not to worry. But there are Christians in, for example, in Africa that have literally died of starvation um, so there's a current thing to be like, well, that seems bad. It seems like God's not following the rule. Um, that's not necessarily the case. God's in control regardless, um, in spite of maybe dying of hunger, to be able to do that. But it just kind of de describes that it's not exactly the way that you think that means. And that verse doesn't necessarily apply the way that it says. Uh, the fourth point, it doesn't say that debt is an exercise in faith. To say that we're exercising faith by borrowing money is the same as saying that God needs to use a, a lender to meet our needs. And that's not necessarily the way things should be. So in many cases, we may be using a lender instead of trusting fully in God. And so there is that balancing point. Obviously, we don't want to default or other things like that. But at the same time period, there may be an opportunity for God to superficially mean our needs that we haven't considered. And by just taking it ourselves and trying to solve the situation, we might limit that growth that could occur from depending upon God. Then the fifth thing is it doesn't say that it's a sin to loan money. So just as long as it's just as well as it says that it's not a sin to borrow, it doesn't say that it's a sin to loan. Um, still, it's important to remember when you loan someone money, you can change your relationship as a result um, to be able to do that. So if you loan money to a friend or your child, you could damage that relationship. So it needs to be important for you to consider that. I also highly recommend that you create some sort of contract ahead of time that defines it. Um, I can talk you through that. It doesn't can be a handwritten thing. It doesn't have to be things. Or there's a couple aspects of five different things that you have to do to have like a valid contract. And it's important that you do that. You don't need a lawyer, but you're more than welcome to do that. But I highly recommend that you have that. So we talked about the five things that the Bible does say and the five things that the Bible doesn't say. With it. So what I'm going to show you um, here is a chart of different types of debt, and we're going to talk through this. So this is trying to apply some of these principles, and some of it are, are my personal beliefs, so I will caveat that with that. But all debt has different levels of interest um, that are driven by the federal funds rate. So as you know, interest rates are starting to go up, and so there's a risk premium associated with different types of loans based upon the riskiness. So banks aren't in the... Uh, the lending business because they're charitable organizations. They're there because they want to make money and they also have risks that they need to minify, mitigate with them. So the lowest risk things tend to be home mortgages um, to be able to do that. The reason being is you can't take a home and run away with it. It's fixed there. 
and also homes tend to appreciate over time. So they're actually pretty good mechanisms to have loans on for there. When I bought my first house, one of the things that uh, I remember is uh, you know fill out all the pre-approvals and all of a sudden they tell you you can loan you can get a loan for this amount. And I started doing my budget. And I was like, whoa, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. And so just because a bank says you can get lo a loan for this amount doesn't mean that you should be getting a loan for this amount. You need to understand your expenses, the way you want to live. Um, you know, they aren't quantifying the fact that you're giving stuff to the church all the time. There's different equations for that. So just because a bank tells you you can have amount of money, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should have that amount of money. And so that's one of the important principles for it. So you need to choose wisely in your house. Well, there's nothing wrong with buying a fixer upper and building up equity. I mean, the nice thing about a house is you get to use it. When you move in, it doesn't tend to depreciate. You get to, to live in and have a place to, to live. And so instead of paying rent, you're paying and building up equity. There's a number of good things with that, but you can also hamstring yourself. And so a lot of these principles are you can make wise things that aren't necessarily bad. You can make bad decisions on and they can have long-term implications. So it's important to be wise and make wise decisions. So continuing on with that, with so loans for education is another big uh cost of things with there. So there's subsidized and unsubsidized loans. So your subsidized loans are a little bit better because they didn't have lower interest rates with it. The only, the one thing I would say about, uh, loans from my wife who was a teacher and from different things like that is you don't necessarily have to get a four year degree for everything. There are many things that are trades that are presently available right now that are less debt in order to get into them that can have immediate returns. I mean, there's a, a real lack of of a lot of trades and people are retiring out of that and not being replaced. So you can literally be a plumber and make $100,000 a year with very little education. I think it's important to consider to make sure you make wise decisions when you take on a student loan to, from the standpoint of there are really high default rates, but also you just need to be to use some common sense, right? So if you're going to if you feel called to be a, a uh, social worker, that's a great thing, but you have to understand social workers are not going to get paid like doctors. So going to a private school and getting into 150000 or $200,000 of debt when you're coming out and your ability to pay that back is pretty not that great. You need to be wise decisions with that. So maybe it's better in that case to go to a, a state school or a local college or community college for a couple of years before you go into that. The same time period, if you're a doctor and you incur $150,000 of loans, that is easier to pay back. And so that's less, it's still a hamstring on you, but it's a little bit less of that equation um, to be able to do that. So it's just being wise as far as making sure of that. Car loans is another example from that. So um, in graduate school, I actually got my MBA in finance, but I had to help out. I got an assistantship, so I got paid to kind of be a babysitter and help teach classes. So one of the classes I had to teach was the intro to finance and the teacher to his credit had students come through and develop Excel spreadsheets, looking at the cost of owning a car and buying a new one every five years versus saving that money, putting it, saving that same amount of money, putting it in a bank and then waiting until you had enough to pay cash and then continuing that process. And so you'd be amazed in some of the cases when I was doing it, the interest rates were higher than they are now, but they're around like six, five to 6%. If you did that and you bought a new car every five years, you could have a, a value increase by waiting and saving and then buying versus taking your loan immediately and doing that of $250,000 over your lifespan. So just something simple like that is a better way to do that. I personally think that it's better to pay cash for cars as much as possible 
The reason being, as soon as you drive that car off the loan, off the lot, that car depreciates in value and it's never going to go up. We had a weird thing that occurred during COVID where used car prices went up, but that's not historically the way things happen. And that's more around market dynamics. But as a general rule, cars aren't really the best things to, a lot of times uh, people are negative on car loans and things like that. So the more you can do to save money. And a lot of times if you think about that, if you're taking a, people have complete comfort saying, I'm going to put around $400 every month for a loan. But if you save that same $400 and order interest on it, um, you know, let's say there's, you know, used car loans could be five, 6%. They're going to continue going up and you get some money in the bank. And now the interest rates are going up. You might be able to get, you know, a couple percent on there. So, um, you can have a, you know, immediate return of around 8% because instead of you saving that money, instead of paying that debt, you add those two things together. You can now start to have a pretty significant amount of difference by just deferring your initial purchase. Um, and then buying that car. Now I know that's not all feasible for people, but there needs to be, if you break that chain of always continuing to get loans, you can have an immediate request on there. And then credit card debts. They're kind of really well known. Um, there's reasons for everyone getting into credit card debt. Um, it's really hard to get out of credit card debt when you're in it because the interest rates are so high unless, you know, people do that, but it's not uncommon for people to have 18% interest. That is hard to get out of that. I have a really good friend and I love him, um, but he got into a, a fair amount. He and his wife got into a fair amount of credit card debt and they're still trying to claw out of that. And it's just been this debilitating thing. And he said to me multiple times that he's like, I really wish I just didn't do this. Um, but to his credit, he's going to, he's paying it off. He's, you know, doing those things. He's working hard. He and his wife are both working hard to pay it off, but it's had an impact on the rest of their life. And so I just wanted to encourage you is if, if you don't have the money to buy something and it's not an essential thing to be able to do, just be really, really careful with credit cards. Some people are completely fine using them. Some of people just, it's not a good thing to have. So just knowing who your personality is, is just to make wise decisions on them. So that's kind of my thoughts on some of these different types of debt. And just to kind of go into a conclusion, uh, I just want to challenge you to kind of think about what the Bible does say about debt and what doesn't say about debt. And you should need to filter and, and make your decisions based upon there. So what may be wise for me can be com uh, not wise for me can be completely wise for you. It just depends on the situation that you're doing on there. But it's always important to first take those principles that God um, calls off and, and, and tells us. So debt decisions can and will have an impact on our life. And the most important thing is that we should be using our money to glorify God and giving God the first. And if debt keeps our ability to do that, that can have problems. And so a good summary verse of this is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'll read that. Um, and so it's Paul speaking. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So I think that's one of the key principles of, of our things is not using debt to maintain a certain expected lifestyle. It's using debt to handle it properly and follow what God said. So, a couple questions for you. Does debt limit your ability to keep you from giving your first to God and being there for others? If the answer to that is no, 
you probably need to make some adjustments to your lifespan. And next week, we're going to talk about balancing different priorities in life. The second thing is, do you have any debts that you have yet to pay off or ones that you had no intention of, of uh, paying back that you kind of escaped from? If you do, you really need to take care of those and make it right. I mean, the Bible is extremely clear. It's not a gray area as far as debt goes. If you owe something and you signed up to pay something back, you need to pay that back. Um, unless there's bankruptcy and some of that has been forgiven, um, you need to pay it back and you need to make that right. Um, always consider the secondary and long-term implications of taking on debt. One of the biggest things that I've learned in graduate school was actually not something academic. It was just the importance of systems thinking. So in systems thinking is saying, okay, I make a decision now, in like I make a business decision. What are the second and third or fourth order consequences of making that decision? And are am I willing to look at those or accept those things? Or are there things I can do to mitigate that? Or maybe I shouldn't make that original decision based upon that. And I think you need to look at that when it comes to debt to be able to do that. I mean, if you think, you know, if you study economics, I've had the ability to study that, but to, to think that borrowing $7 trillion and basically buying that by the Federal Reserve and saying it as an IOU was not going to have an impact on inflation is to say you don't understand basic economic principles. <laughs> we are living through that right now with higher inflation um, for a lot of things as a result of that. And the same thing can happen in your own life uh, through making wise or foolish decisions on there. If you feel in excessive amounts of debt or feel overly burdened, you need to take steps to get out of there. And there are tools and programs available to help. Um, there's what's called Financial Peace University, which is a, a Christian-based or a biblical-based uh, approach to it. I don't necessarily agree with 100% of everything it says, but I agree with a large majority of it. But it can really help people get out of debt and, and set the proper expectations for that. Our church does offer that. Uh, if there's interest on in you to be able to do that, please reach out. If you just want someone to talk to about debt or how to do it, we have financial planners that are in our um, our church. I have background in finance, um, but I just want you to reach out. I don't want you to be constantly full on there because a lot of times when you have debt, it can feel like you just have this big cornerstone on you um, to be able to do that. So our ultimate goal is that you can live a life of freedom and be able to serve God as much as possible. And that's really the overall pr uh, principle of why it is important to manage debt. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you um, for you and just your constant love for us in spite of our decisions. We know that you always still love and care for us. I just thank you um, for this study in debt. It was actually uh, interesting for me to learn through it and to experience some things by reading through there. I just want to um, pray for those that are dealing with it or um, feel like they have a, a burden necessarily with that. I just pray that you could help show them the way to get out of there so they can live their best lives. And at the same time period, I just hope that we can apply, use these principles that are in your Bible and use that to guide our future decisions as we seek to follow you. And ultimately, um, our goal of our finances should be to um, use them to glorify you as much as possible, Lord. Uh, we thank you for just provision, their ability to live in the United States, literally to, to live into a, a very free culture where hard work is rewarded and uh, we can achieve. And I just pray that we would um, not lose fact of that and use it to your glory. And we just thank you for all you do for us in your name. Amen.